Reflections with Canon Philip Gray. Well, uh, good morning, everyone, and welcome to my daily refre- reflection podcast for this uh, week of Easter 7. Uh, and I'm delighted to welcome today our Archdeacon, Andy Jolly. Andy. Good morning, Philip. It's great to be with you and uh, great to be with those who are going to be listening later. Now, Andy, I suppose the first question is, tell us, what's an archdeacon? Oh, you, you don't want the answer about the one with the crook at the head of the bishop's staff. Uh, um, <laughs> all right, no. Do you, no you don't, you don't want that one. Um, yeah, okay. So, what, 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 is, what is an archdeacon? Well, I suppose it's a, it's a, it's a senior post in the Church of England, um, yeah. um, working with the bishop in terms of how we um, oversee the churches uh, of the diocese and in uh, in the Diocese of Leeds, that works in the Episcopal areas. So yes. working closely with Bishop Toby um, to en- ensure that things are going as they should be. Um, and what might um, what, what might a typical day for an archdeacon look like? Well, at the moment, sadly, it looks like sitting in his study, um, <laughs> yeah, which which is very different from what it normally looks like. So uh, in a normal week, then... Um, I'll be getting out and perhaps visiting one or two of the churches uh, in the area, um, doing uh, MDRs or ministerial development reviews with with clergy, um, working with them and their church wardens to um, help church think about what's their mission and growth um, looking like, um, as well as making sure they're working safely. Safeguarding is a big aspect of um, an archdeacon's role. Um, there is a responsibility for the church buildings, um, which can can be as, make it as big as you want, really, that, um, making sure that they are also serving um, the purposes uh, of the mission of the churches. Um, and the finance? Uh, yeah, you're, you're leading me through it nicely. Thank you very much. <laughs> yes, uh, encouraging responsible stewardship um, in our churches, encouraging giving, um, working out where churches may need support. That's a, yeah, yeah, another aspect of that. You're also quite heavily involved in appointments, I think, Andy, aren't you, across this Episcopal area? Yes, sadly, that's one of the aspects of the job which is kind of largely on hold at the moment, which I know is, is yeah. frustrating to, to many. Um, yeah, so working through the, the appointments process, that's something the Archdeacon manages. Um, I mean, happily across the branch of fact, we don't have that many vacancies. We've done well over the last few years in terms of filling vacancies and um, and, and keeping hold of, of our clergy. So there, there aren't that many running at the moment. There's a couple coming through. So working with those churches, looking at their requirements um, and then trying to find people to fit them. And, and one of the things that um, we're doing, you know, <clears throat> in the uh, area staff, which clearly you're at the forefront of, is this whole sort of strategic question of of what the church might look like in 10, 15 years and how we might be resourcing that moving forward. Do you want to say a bit about that? Yeah, for me, that's, that's one of the um, really interesting parts of my role and it's, it fits with kind of bits of my, of my past really as well. So I've been part of the Bishop's Strategy Group for the past couple of years, um, which is about the strategy which Synod has now um, approved and commended. Um, so that's been a key aspect of, of that bit of it, looking at what are the key emphases for the coming period, what are you know, the, the five goals that we're working to, um, and helping 
uh, our fiscal area to engage with that and individual PCCs and parishes to work out how what what they're doing, their local priorities mesh with those diocesan priorities so that we are uh, working in the same direction. Um, I mean, clearly there, there are, not least as a result of what we're going through at the moment, going to be some very difficult questions to work through um, in terms of um, how we match our our aims and our aspirations to our resources. Yeah, yeah. Andy, tell us a bit about yourself, your own background. Where, where, where do you hail from originally? So I was born in the, in the East Midlands in, in Nottingham, grew up in uh, a near, nearby town, Loughborough. Um, I was part, I am part of a family which is, um, I have non-conformist parents. So I like to say that I was raised uh, non-conformist and then fell among Anglicans um, in the in the kind of joys of a previous great crisis and the, the three-day week of the 1970s. Um, okay. the, um, the churches of, uh, of our town um, chose to worship together. And that's when I kind of first discovered that there were um, other um, kids from my school who were Christians. Um, the local church my parents were part of, I, my sister and I were the only um, kind of kids there really. Um, and so kind of came came to faith uh, through getting involved with my local Anglican church um, and the youth ministry they were involved with and uh, others associated with that. Um, so, and, and I kind of, so I stayed with the Church of England thereafter, um, despite attempts to try and find some, something else. I never managed to achieve that. Um, I trained as a, uh, an engineer. The engineering degree was my was my first degree. Worked in the motor industry with with Ford. Um, then moved into management consultancy after that. And one of my uh, great frustrations all through those uh, those times, you know, through my twenties and early thirties, was how was the church equipping me or or not equipping me uh, to take my faith into into my workplace. Um, the one or two role models, I guess, in my workplace of people who were um, being good public Christians and living out their faith uh, in the workplace. Uh, well, I guess one of my most embarrassing moments was um, when I was working for Ford in, in Dagenham. I was working with resident resident engineer for a while. He's one of the kind of senior interfaces between uh, the design process, the manufacturing process, and. After we worked together for about three months, we both worked out we were both Christian, but we managed to hide it, to hide it so well from each other. And I thought this cannot, this cannot be good enough. Um, and uh, so that's been one of my passions, um, and remains one of my passions that we equip um, our folk to, uh, to go as, as Christians into their place of work and to live out their faith um, in how they make their decisions, in how they interact with other people, um, and in a way in which sees that God um, is Lord of all things, including the workplace. And you've been doing a very piece of specific work on this, haven't you, with Sharon Bavington, our lay training officer? Um, so, yeah, so um, that's been really helping people um, through this personal growth and leadership course um, yeah. to focus on their own growth and leadership, wherever that may be. Um, now, for some people, clear that's in, in what they do in church, um, but for others, what they do in, in their family or in community groups or, or in their workplace. And I think for me, one of the most exciting 
aspects of what we've seen there is stories that have come back of people where the, the impact of the course has been seen not just by themselves, but by the people that they work with. Uh, so the first time we ran it, a uh, great story of a guy who got a promotion out of it. Um, and there was a, a clash um, with his, between his work and the course. And he explained to his boss that if he had to work on, on, the, on the Saturday morning, then he couldn't go to the course. And he said, well, his boss said, well, you must go to the course. It's having such a great impact. Go. Um, yeah, so that, yeah, so that, that's been one of the most exciting things. Yeah, we had 50 or so people on the course, um, which finished in, uh, in March. And just hearing stories of people um, just being more confident uh, in their faith and the impact that has, therefore, on um, being public Christians, confident Christians, which is obviously one of our key aspects of the vision, confident Christians. Yeah. And uh, you're a married man? Uh, currently, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Until you're told different. <laughs> yeah. Well, 10 weeks of lockdown, who knows? Um, <laughs> yeah, Rick, Rick and I have been married for, for 27 years now. Um, we met when I was working uh, in Birmingham. Uh, she's a, a, a GP. And um, so uh, when we moved up here, she's continued working uh, as a GP. Um, yeah, tw 27 years of, of marriage and still going strong, um, still love each other. Um, and two, two grandkids. Um, one, Beth's working in London, works for Ocado, so she's kind of uh, never been busier. And, uh, and Matt's uh, a year, well, in his, in his first year, probably in, in the workplace now, working for London Institute of Contemporary Christianity. Excellent. And um, you were uh, you were a parish priest before you came here, is that right? Andrew? Yeah, so my, my, my call to um, ordain ministry um, came when I was in Birmingham, um, was working as a management consultant then. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I trained and was ordained in, in, in Birmingham, um, yeah. served curacy in a place called Spark Hill, uh, which oh, yeah. is um, a bit like Manningham really, except without, without the Caribbeans. Um, so lots of Mirpuri um, Muslims uh, around. And then is that is sorry, forgive my ignorance, is that is that separate to Spark Brook? Yeah, Are yes, yes, yes. Spark Hill, as you, as you as the name suggests, is just slightly up the hill as you head out of town. Okay. Um yeah, so Spark Brook is uh, is a bit more a bit further into city and the next parish out is Spark Hill. Um, and that's where I think was that where Hattersley was an MP, Spark Brook? Um Roy Hattersley. Yeah, Trying to remember, it was, it was a Birmingham MP. If, if the, the boundaries changed a little bit um, over the years, yeah. Um, so he may well have been there. It's, it's been it's certainly a, it's a, it's been a Labour stronghold for generations. Yeah, I think there's a fairly famous Anglo-Catholic church in Sparbrook, Colston. There is indeed. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I've never been to it, yeah. but uh, it, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a fine Grade One building. Um, well, right. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, some of some of our listeners might might know of it. Um, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Carry on. Yeah. So you were inspired. Yeah. So I did my did my curacy there, and then I was vicar of Aston, um, which is just across the city for uh, thirteen years. After that, um, it's a fantastic parish, lovely multicultural mix. Um, 
So uh, Christians from a whole range of ethnicities uh, in the church. Um, again, a good mix of, of Muslims um, from Pakistan and Bangladeshi heritage um, in the parish. Um, and uh, yeah, thir 13 very lovely years there. And a real preparation then for your ministry in Bradford, particularly obviously in, you know, in central Bradford. And you, you live in Manningham yeah, itself. Yeah, we live, live in Manningham, um, which we, we love. I think um, if, if I wasn't surrounded by um, people of, of different cultures, I would start to twitch a bit. That's what, it's actually one of the things that I missed in, in three years of ordination training. Um, in my consultancy work, I really loved the the way in which as I traveled different parts of Europe, particularly I had to understand local culture, the local language, how people made decisions, what their values were. Um, and so I missed all that in three years ordination training, but uh, when I landed in, in, in Spark Hill uh, in Aston, and then obviously here in, in Bradford now, just love being surrounded by people with that uh, whole range of different cultures to understand and to work with really. Um, so yeah, in that, in that way, all of that was was great preparation. There's lots of bits of my, of my past which I look back at it. I think yeah, that was a great preparation for for what I'm doing now. It's interesting how God prepares you, isn't it? Yeah, and I, I could I mean in a very different way, and I could say the same story about being here really, um, and and yeah, the previous ministries. You're absolutely right, and um, yeah, you, you look back on the experiences you had and you draw on them, and you think, wow, well. You know that I really was prepared for that by by what I'd experienced there, and obviously for me particularly with formative experiences as a parish priest and then as a bishop's chaplain before coming here. So, no, absolutely. How do you see the present situation impacting on the church? I mean, there are obvious, the very obvious things, Andy, about closures. But um, you know, as a as an archdeacon, you'll see the real sort of the plumbing, the real inner workings. Uh, how how are you seeing that? Well, I we we talk. Well, people talk about COVID as the as the great revealer, and yeah. it, I think it is revealing um, things which are good and things which are which are less good, really. Um, yeah. But I think some of the other things I've just been really amazed um, at the responses of well, parish priests like like yourself um, doing things like like this. And the way in which yeah. we've been able to move um, and to use the technology of, of the time, it, you know, in some ways it's about you know Jesus arrived at, at the right time in that period of the Roman Empire where communication was suddenly enabled in, in a different way. Um, and had this crisis arrived just a few years ago, you know, opportunity to do, do this kind of thing, uh, and the way in which um, people are able to stay in touch with others and to make contact with them. Um, I'm just you know, amazed at the way in which people have responded so so quickly uh, and so well. Um, and, and largely just the, the grace that's been extended to people as they've um, tried things out for the first time. You know, you're never going to get it perfect. Um, um, and people have, you know, have tried things, um, but the grace that's been extended to them just because um, they've wanted to try and as, as best we can continue to worship um but i think other thing that's has been revealing as i've talked with a, a number of different church leaders is the depth of conversation that they and and others who are doing pastoral care are having with people um that they're able to have 
much more well longer conversations than you have after after the end of a of a service at church. Um, but they, but the, the content of the conversations is is much deeper. Uh, and I think there's yeah. been some stripping back really of um, things which ultimately we recognise they're they're interesting, uh, they're entertaining, but they're not of the same lasting value. Um, you know, even if that's just the banter about the football, we can't do it really, can we? Um, <laughs> There's no football to banter about. There is now in Germany, obviously. Um, but yeah. it, it means that people are having much deeper conversations. Um, I think that's, you know, there are, so there, there are things in that which, whatever, however long this, this chapter lasts before we get into whatever new normal looks like, there are key things to hold on to there about. Um, the investment that we make in the relationships with those inside and those those outside of church, um, and I think you know, one, I guess one of the great dangers I'm seeing in what's going on with the online um, provision of worship um, mm. is it's very easy to be be a spectator in that, and it makes it very obvious. Um, I think in a way in which we we can be spectators when we go into church buildings. Um, but the invitation is to be there to worship. Um, and I think, therefore, we're having to work a bit harder at that. And I think that's no bad thing, um, that things are not, you know, on a plate for us in the same kind of way. We have to work at it. And that's, you know, in the sense in which worship is work. Um, Hebrew and Avadar, um, to work is to worship, and to work and to worship is to work. Um and so I think that those are those are really positive developments which we need to take hold of. Um, but yeah, we, we are in for very challenging times, um, and it will be you know we'll be the last sector that's allowed back into buildings, along with um, the hospitality sector, um, pubs and restaurants. Um, and when we are allowed back in, what will we, will we be allowed to do? Well, we will be allowed to worship. Um, but we might think yeah. more creatively again about what the content of that looks like. And I think that's no bad thing to have to think about that. Mm. And as you'll be aware, Andy, I think for our tradition, um, given how physical we are in worship and how the Eucharistic and the sacramental is at the centre of what we do, as well as music, um, it, it feels like a very particular challenge. For Abs absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And um yeah and i yeah i mean we, you know we, we can we can watch um you um celebrate mass in uh yes but it's it just isn't the same thing is it no no and I, and and I, in my preaching i've tried to recognize that that you know because people are being very affirming yeah. about what we're doing but at the same time i think one of my things is is to say I do realise that this falls far short yeah. of what, um, you know, even what the gospel envisages, you know, when it's just talking about two or three gathering in my name. Well, we are gathering, but it's not the same. Oh, and those, those words, that when we break the bread, there we are many, we are one body, for we all share in one bread. Um, and there's yeah. pain, you know, as you, as yeah. you say those words, and as, as you hear those words. Um, but I hope that means that when we can, again, sharing one bread that we're all the more grateful for it absolutely absolutely and and um 
yeah, we look forward to that day, really. Um, but it, it is difficult to en just envisage it at the moment, how, how it's going to be. But um, you, uh, we, we await advice, I think, is the... <laughs> well, we, 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 well, we await advice we, and we await guidelines. But I think just in the same yeah. way as there's been this huge creativity um, over the last nine, yes. nine weeks, I, I think we, there's much to learn from each other. Um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah the, the, old, the national church will come up with with guidance and you know the kind of parameters which we will have to work within. But within yeah. those parameters, I do hope we will see some um, imagination, um, some creativity, but also again a continued willingness to be humble and and to learn from others. Um, because there's a i think there's a fascinating theological paper to be written out of particularly out of the catholic tradition uh about what we mean by presence yeah. and what we've learned what we've learned presence means through this present crisis um because we 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 tend to think of presence very physically and yeah. spatially uh and and um you know it's a real challenge when we cannot be present with one another. How do we, how do we continue to be in Christ's presence sacramentally? I mean, these are really interesting yeah. questions. Um, and, and yeah, anyway, yeah. I think yeah. that's and for you, the future. And you, and you I, simply I, raise the question around the, the choral tradition and, and singing, um, yes. and the way in which again, you know, we're we're able to to watch and to and to and to listen to others. Um, seeing it and, the, and there's a lot of very good material out there for doing that but um, the, the invitation is, is not just to listen yes absolutely the, um, I think the, the RSCM organised a webinar last week which you may be, may be aware of uh, which I know both my son Anthony and our director of music plugged into it. and I think that they were just beginning to ask the questions of you know how our choir is going to be able to return and particularly church choirs but I, th I i think the outcome of that really was that there are just too many yeah i mean i'm aware that some some places have, have gone and ordered um perspex shields um to place around choristers which you know if you've got the resource to do that then um that may be possible that may be possible uh, <laughs> well I, I look forward to that I look forward to that application for a faculty. <laughs> well, I, I, I hope it's well. Yeah. <laughs> oh dear. I, 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 <laughs> oh dear. Well, you, you've certainly made me smile. The idea of sort of sticking in every individual chorister by well, it does the acoustics. I've no idea. <laughs> I, I really, uh, yeah. Gosh. Well, uh, that, yeah, I don't think that'll be, uh, I don't think that. Anyway, my director of music uh, and I, we're going to have a chat later in the week. So we're, we're just going to start thinking, but um, we, we need the scientific and medical advice, really, don't we? Uh, and we need to see how the thing develops. Um, and, yeah. Um, what what do you fear for, uh, Andy? Um, Coming out of this? I'm, I, when, we, when we started into this, I tried to... I had a, a, a three-way acronym. We were people of hope, not hysteria, of peace, not panic, and of faith rather than fear. So, um, um, if I try not, if I answer the question obliquely, 
because I think we do need a few people of faith and, and, not, and not fear. Uh, uh, you know, one of the great promises we have, um, you know, it's in our gospel reading, um, was it this weekend or last weekend, you know, the, the promise of Jesus who is, who is with us. Um, Maybe I should ask, ask the question slightly differently then, which is, what do you see the challenges and therefore the opportunities? Excellent question, Father, excellent question. <laughs> uh, I mean, the, the, yeah. the challenges are that we we will have to be people who are continually having to rethink uh, things which are yeah. precious to us um, and to work out which, which of the things that we have valued in the past we continue to hold on to um, and which those things which we need to perhaps let go of um, that I, th I think for a lot of people in, in our churches that their financial circumstances will be very different. There's a huge financial challenge out there. But in that sense, it's, it's, it's revealed probably the financial challenge that was there anyway um, or, and, and would have arrived at some point in probably a not too far distant future um, of working out what a sustainable model of church is financially. Um, and I don't and I mean that both at local church level and, and diocesan level. Um, what patterns of ministry can we, can we realistically sustain? Um, and that's probably going to be a, a whole mix of patterns. In that sense, it, you know, it accelerates what we've seen over recent years. Uh, in some places, we, we continue in the model which we've known and loved for, for centuries of a church with a vicar um, and a congregation. Um, um, but in other places we've had to uh, put, um, put in place other patterns of ministry and I think it, yeah, it, it, it accelerates that um, but yeah the, the financial challenge will be great and I think um, as, as we've joked around the first victories there were challenges around our buildings uh, our buildings are designed or were designed you know, many of them 100, and, 100 or more years ago for a particular purpose, a particular context and we've known that in many places um, that's been fine and still remains fine, but other places um, that remains anachronistic. Um, um, and our buildings have to, have to serve uh, the worship and the mission of the church. Um, and I think, yeah, that's that's one of the things which this, this season has revealed um, in a very brutal way. Um, I used to occasionally, in a, on a PCC away day kind of question, what, what would you do if, um, if you weren't allowed to worship in your church? And suddenly all of us have to think about that. But yeah. We, yeah. Um, yeah, we may well find that um, for quite a long time that our buildings are not actually uh, appropriate to the purpose that we need for them. And that's a huge challenge to think that through. What, you know, how, how do we then gather? Um, if we gather in our churches, in what way do we gather in them? What numbers are allowed? Yes. In in that sense, I think we're we're quite fortunate here with the size of the building, uh, because that clearly will give us some possible flexibility to gather yeah. and socially distance at yeah. the same time. Um, which obviously, if you've got a much smaller building, um, depending on numbers, could yeah. be really quite different. Yeah. Do they have to worship? Um, smaller groups at a time. Yeah, yeah. These, these are the these these are the challenges. And I, and I guess yeah, if the, if there is an anxiety around that, yeah, I think as I said, we've seen some amazing responses from our, 
um, a lot of our church leaders uh, lay unordained. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I, I think there'll be places where that's that imagination perhaps isn't as great as others. Um, and no. I fear for for those those people, those places, how how they respond to that. Um, whether that this leads to a kind of uh, a negative down, downward cycle of, of not feeling good enough. Yeah. And Bishop Nick continues to say this is not a competition. And that's why I really do hope that we can learn from each other in a spirit of humility and generosity. Yeah. And, and I think he's absolutely right about that. And, you know, to go back to what you say about, the, the you know, this whole technical virtual stuff, um, you know, I'm fortunate I've got two young people here with me if they'd not been here there is no way I could have done most of what I've done because I just wouldn't have the technical know-how nor resources and if you're a single clergyman or older and haven't got you know either the technical knowledge or younger people around who do have it you, you just no that's right I was, um, many years ago I was uh, when I was thinking through this um, faith in the workplace um, issues I was um, struck by Bezalel and Aholiab Two of the less well-known characters of the Pentateuch. Um, All right. Okay. Well, well, they they were the technologists. They they were the ones (laughs) who Moses was directed to to um, do all of the metal work and embroidery and tapestry work for for the tabernacle. Uh, So Bezalel. Right. Is this in Exodus Exodus, or Deuteronomy somewhere? Is it? I believe. Exodus, don't yeah, don't, okay. don't quote me on that, anybody. I, I was careful. I, I, okay. I said Pentateuch. Well, I, I, I'll, I'll go and look at it. Moses was directed on, and they were names. particularly gifted of God. Um, I guess part of the point is that they were yeah. there. And I think, and I, I get, I've, yes. it's not universal, obviously, but I've, I've picked up numbers of stories of people in your kind of situation where you may not have the skills themselves but within their families or within their church congregations they have they have found people who do have those skills uh, and have been able to to use them in a in a way in which they wouldn't have imagined that was possible and yeah and sometimes i think we 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 can assume that the skills aren't there and that may be true but other times actually the skills are there we just need to find them yes yeah well, certainly, certainly been true here, Andy. Andy, uh, it's been, a, uh, or it is, it sounds like the past tense, it is a delight to work with you. Um, how long have you been, actually? Can I, is, we all is do, yes. Um, four, four and a bit years. It was, it was February, February okay. 16 I started. So, um, I'm, so you shot, you, you started just a little after uh, yeah, Toby? About a year after Toby. Toby, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's been a delight, and it is a delight to serve with you on 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 the, uh, you know, the leadership Likewise. team in the area. And um, yeah, I, I I've always um, I've always been impressed about the way in which you have uh, a complete grasp of the brief. Um, and you know, I've worked with a few archdeacons over the years, and and to work with one like yourself who clearly is prepared and understands the situation before you talk about it is, um, well, I, I, as I say, I've been impressed and I've been thankful for well, it through, that, throughout. Well, that's very kind of you to say that. Thank you. Yeah. Now, Andy, would you, um, 
would you please uh, pray with us Absolutely. as we end? Uh, great, great talking with you, Thank Philip, you. And, uh, and, gr and great working with you as um, uh, Vicar of St. Margaret's and also the um, area dean of South Craven and Wharfdale. So thank you for all you do. Yeah. Let's, let's pray. Pleasure. Then. Thank you. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that even in these difficult times of lockdown and virus and public health concerns, that you are our God and that you are with us. We thank you for that promise. We thank you for the gifts of creativity that you put in your people. And we thank you, therefore, that we can walk with you, inspired by your spirit. And in these days, as between Ascension Tide, between Ascension and the day of Pentecost, and the giving of your spirit, we thank you for that gift. And we pray that your gifts of creativity may inspire our worship, our mission, and our care. And I thank you for Father Philip, and I thank you for... Um, his ministry and that of the people of St. Margaret's. Pray your blessing upon them in these times and the times to come. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's edition of the Daily Reflection Podcast. If you would like to listen to more episodes, they will be available on your usual podcast platform. Alternatively, all the podcasts and live streams, uh, services and reflections can be found on the St. Margaret's Ilkley website, stmargaretsilkley.org.